0: Hey, welcome, everyone, to our next episode of the Coffee Breakdown podcast. Uh, today, our special guest is Lorenzo Zanisi, who is a data scientist working for the UK Atomic Energy Agency. Um, he's done previously a PhD in astrophysics, where he combined astrophysics with uh, ML models and statistical modeling. And so today, we're here to bring him on to talk about both that work and how machine learning is going to or should be applied to science moving forward. So, welcome, Lorenzo.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much for having me today.
0: Yes. Yeah, so, um, oh, I did forget to mention that, you, of course, you did your PhD in astrophysics, but now you've moved forward to work on fusion. So, it's a very interesting mix of just different fields and and different uh, concepts. So, I guess the first question I have to you is, well, what do we mean with machine learning? Like how?
1: what what is that and how do we apply it so machine learning is uh, uh, is a tool um, is a uh, basically a computer program that uh, learns uh, with data um, and uh, more specifically given uh, um, given some data the computer program learns automatically without actually being told uh, what the well it's told what the learning task is but it's not told uh, what it actually has to do to perform the learning task uh to perform the final task which is for example a classification or a regression um and this um and this performance uh, and the performance of the algorithm at doing these uh this task improves with with time and with more with the more the data the algorithm is fed um so this is particularly, um you know this is particularly relevant uh, in in the age where we live today which is the age of uh, big data uh where every 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 kind of data is collected uh want it or not Google collects our data Amazon Facebook they will make uh, uh, their their nice machine learning models predictive models of how we behave what we like mm-hmm. and so on and so forth and um uh so yeah and but the, the thing is that for for, for for science, this is also true. So we have uh, enormous, we have big experiments in uh, in a lot of the scientific domain. So, for example, if I think about my background in astrophysics, uh, there are new uh, new facilities like the LSST, which is a, a telescope optimized for uh, transients. Uh, there is Euclid, uh, a space mission for uh, that will study galaxies, uh, and uh, and many others. Uh, that will collect a tremendous amount of data and uh, this data cannot be looked at by uh, by, by humans <laughs> you need you need a computer to process them so this is the other advantage of machine learning that it can sift through data much quicker than us simply because well it is backed by uh, computing power we could do all the calculations uh, that you know neural networks uh, or other machine learning algorithm do uh, by hand or with a calculator uh, but it would be much, uh, much slower. We would achieve the same identical results in the end, but it would take, uh, you know, millennia for us to do that. Instead, uh, powered with a computer, we can do all those um, all those calculations uh, much faster and sift through data uh, um, much more efficiently.
0: Okay, so, I mean, this is interesting. Well, of course, machine learning holds a dear place in my, my heart as well, being part of my PhD project. So uh, when we talk about machine learning, it's really how we process data right so it, it's it's not necessarily that uh, as you've mentioned that there are two let's say use cases one is just processing large amounts of data right so if you have a a machine learning model and you just want to sift through a large amount of data to get at the trends behind it but the second thing is then the pattern recognition itself yeah. right to then identify that there are trends in this data and to kind of give you a more condensed version of of the large data to say like okay this there's something here that you may be interested um yeah but one of the confusing things that's always of course uh i would say something that i've had to or people have asked me and I don't really have an answer for is like, well, how does the machine learn? Right. Because of course we, we give it all this data and it's supposed to somehow figure out combinations of these, these numerical, these numbers effectively. How does it do that? Right. Like what in the end it's still trained for a goal and we still have to specify the goal. Right. So I guess, is this and a lot of people are confused on that like how do we choose a goal do we have to choose a goal is this something that is machine learning equal artificial intelligence equal you know something that can be self-directed in terms of figuring out these goals as well is that what we mean when we say machine learning or is it something a bit more defined
1: yeah so machine learning is more of a the tool with which you would achieve artificial intelligence mm. in a way so artificial intelligence uh, um somehow encompasses uh, uh a broader scope than machine learning so imagine for example we have uh, a machine learning a machine learning algorithm that uh, you know classifies uh, you know um uh, I don't know um um cancer cancerous versus non-cancerous cells or something like that okay well a particular kind of cancer that that is something that is is very good, but we would never dream of calling that uh, uh, intelligence, right? <laughs> this yeah. is uh, this is just one little part. Uh, you know, humans maybe could do could do that that task, but uh, actually, in 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 a lot of tasks, uh, uh, machine learning uh, is a lot more specified that that, that human intelligence. Uh, is a, and so it can it can achieve even su- performance that is superior to human intelligence um now there's the question of whether um these uh, uh whether actually achieving human intelligence requires a human brain or whether the machine learning algorithms that we have uh, including neural networks uh, uh are already enough uh, if pushed uh, uh, if pushed enough uh, to achieve uh, general general artificial intelligence but I'm not going to go in that direction because hmm. I uh, <laughs> because i realize it's a, it's a very very far away from from your question um, well it so, might be a question to be approached later <laughs> oh, but, the, but yeah. i agree yeah <laughs> so there's a um yeah in terms of the actual learning the learning is done given an objective so you have for example um what is called a uh, 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 um, a loss function uh, for example i'm thinking of, of neural networks uh, Uh, you have you you're your network a given uh, objective for example minimize this or maximize that well typically it's always minimize uh, minimize something and uh, the neural network basically uh, will propagate the information from the uh, from okay so from the output so given some examples some training examples uh, the neural network uh, will make some predictions this prediction will feed into your uh, loss function, which is essentially what you are hoping to achieve, the objective that you're hoping to achieve with with your learning, with your algorithm, and then basically uh, the information of the discrepancy in in a sense between your um, your prediction and your and your um, and your target, the something that you know some data for which you already know the answer for. Uh, that information is propagated back into the neural network. Uh, and the, the parameters of the neural network will be adjusted according uh, to, to that specified objective. Um, and uh, yeah, this is mostly how, uh, how, how neural networks work, for example.
0: Right, so like just from my mind, and I mean, the parallels are all, of course there, is that we can see this machine learning model as a, you know, a very high dimensionality fit. Right. It's just like least squares fitting, but of course, a bit more uh, in-depth and and a bit more, let's say, robust than that. But it is effectively the same thing. It's just a regression fit. But then this brings up a different question is that, well, how is machine learning and all of the tools around machine learning different or maybe the same as st- as traditional statistical modeling? Right.
1: yeah so this is this is an interesting one and uh, I think that the 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 particular example that you make about regression is uh, is is particularly suitable to this uh, um to this uh, to, to, to this conundrum let's say but uh, when when we and, and i'm and I'm not gonna I'm gonna deal with this in a second but um, i I just wanted to say also that uh, um for example th- statistical models uh, wouldn't be able to do things like uh, uh, natural language processing to the level that uh, deep learning models uh, have uh, have achieved uh, and uh, you know uh, even my grandma knows what chat gpt is right uh, <laughs> yeah so <laughs> um so yeah there's uh, there's definitely um there's definitely some some parts uh, of uh, of machine learning that uh, statistical models uh, just uh, are not suitable for um And um, in general, this is due to the fact that uh, uh, statistical models uh, um, kind of try to answer a different question, I feel, uh, compared to machine learning. So, uh, statistical models are concerned more with inference and and, um, machine learning is concerned more with predictions. Mm. So... So, so maybe a models we... you wanna you wanna test you wanna test an hypothesis you wanna say something like is this data linear mm-hmm. does it does it does it follow a linear uh, linear relationship or does it uh, does it come does is the true gen- data generating distribution a uh, Gaussian mixture with uh, these uh, parameters for the mean and variance uh, of, of each Gaussian um, instead machine learning is kind of, is more concerned with uh, what can I say. About the properties of this particular data point uh, that I have not seen before, uh, okay. So, for example, um, if I think about a concrete example of, uh, um, let's say, um, let's say classification. Okay, you you have uh, uh, you know some uh, you have some um, you have some uh, Coins, the some of them are blue, some of them are red. Mm-hmm. You scatter them on a plane, okay, and then you can build, for example, a logistic regression uh, model, a multivariate logistic regression model to just like find the separating the separation between these two these two data sets, okay. Okay. Um, and that is just going to tell you something about uh, you know the separation between these data sets but now imagine imagine doing that with uh, um imagine doing that so a neural network can do exactly the same thing okay right it can do it in the same way but now imagine doing that with images okay you have images of cats and dogs Mm -hmm. okay typical uh thing that used to that people used to do 10 15 years ago Uh, you images of cats and dogs and you have to build a logistic regression to find the optimal you know separating boundaries between these two classes this is this is insane mm-hmm. <laughs> because there's just so much structure in the data in the in the image there's so much uh, uh, highly non-linear correlations uh, between various parts of the of the images that that is something that is very very hard to see for uh, for us traditional statistical model like uh you know a logistic regression mm. um, okay um um yeah and also yeah you you're not necessarily uh, concerned uh, with uh, when you have image data for example you're not necessarily concerned uh, uh, with uh, um you know testing whether it what, what does it even mean to test whether you know an image uh, you know when you do regression on image data for example and you can do that but what does it even mean to you know to it, the, the the relationship is linear between your image and uh, you know the particular label that's uh, that's not something that that, that that is really even an interesting question from the statistical point of view right so i'm thinking for example of this this work that i um that i that, that i used a lot in my in my phd where you have galaxies and the kind of class of galaxies is treated as a regression problem so each galaxy is assigned a number from mm-hmm. minus 5 to 10 where minus 5 is an elliptical galaxy and 10 is a very um um, it's a very regular galaxy. There are disks uh, in between of various irregularities. Now, what what does it mean to want to test uh, that the relationship within this image and number is linear? Hmm. We, is it a, is that an interesting question? N- not not particularly. We just want to have a predictive model of whether this is a minus five or a two or a three point five or something like that, because we want to use that information uh, down for downstream tasks so it's a a very different uh, um it's a very different idea I think
0: okay like so maybe just so to see if I got the idea is more that machine learning cares more about the outcome of the learned model whereas uh traditional statistical models care more about the relation defined by the model right so not necessarily the outcome whether it's correct or not but like the, the the actual relation between the input data and the output data
1: for example yeah, yeah. but n- not, not necessarily just limited okay. to that mm. uh, but for example you, you're interested in in saying something about uh, you know statistical significance for example mm. of of something which uh, in machine learning you know it's not necessarily what, what you want to what you want to see in machine learning you have uh, for example positively or negatively labeled samples or you want to try to do some anomaly detection. And uh, you know you're not gonna get a p-value from that,
0: uh-huh.
1: right? Which which is instead what you would get for, for example, you know at LHC when you have when you when you see a strange event, uh, how many sigma away is that? Mm. Um, you know what is the significance of that? So in, in machine learning you would just classify that as an outlier event uh, to be flagged for follow up, but you wouldn't have a, a statistical measure of uh, you know. Uh, p-value compared to some model it's, ah. it's, a, it's a different it's
0: a different idea Ah, interesting because I always thought that machine learning of course has its roots in statistical modeling or at least yeah. the has shares some of the same mathematics but then I thought there was work trying to build machine learning models that have that kind of like confidence interval type of information built into it or is that just not possible
1: well you but- I think I think yes, but it's, it, it's in, a, in, a, in a different way in the sense that mm. if I understand your your question correctly, so there there you can you can embed the machine learning models with uncertainty. Is that what, what where you were gonna where you were going to go? Yes,
0: well, like I mean, you can build uh, machine learning models with some measure of uncertainty, but I guess I'm uncertain whether or not that's the same type of uncertainty that is. Being tested for inside statistical, uh, like inference, right? Or are they? Do they represent different things despite using the same terminology? Is more the question.
1: Well, so there there are some um, so the the things are are quite are are a bit blurred in some cases. So Mm. for example, if I think about uh, um some models like density estimation models like normalizing flows, and these are basically models that tell you. You know, what is the uh, ge- data generating distribution of your data set? So imagine imagine this as a big, big histogram.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, so you have imagine you have a 2D data set, uh, you can make a 2D distribution of o- over that. You make an histogram, you imagine you have images. Well, you make an histogram of images, and then you kinda uh, do your normalizing flow to um to learn that big histogram in a in a, in an in an interesting way. Um, and that is going to give you, for example, if you want to do, um, if you are concerned uh, in uh, inverse problems, for example. So you have, uh, um, you know, you have uh, you have a model, and you want to test that model on your data. Mm-hmm. Then uh, you can uh, essentially learn your, your the likelihood of your model, uh, which is this big histogram, which is just like the sampling from many parameters. many. Realizations of your model with different parameters and various, you know, correlations with, within the parameters that you that you put in your prior, mm-hmm. and then uh, given some data, you can Bayesianally, well, uh, in a Bayesian way, you yeah. can invert this model and find the and find the um, the parameter that you're interested in uh, with some uncertainty. So in right. a sense, uh, um in, in 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 this sense, I guess uh, uh, this goes in in the, in the direction that. Uh, that you were suggesting that is uh, some machine learning models can also give you um uh, can also give you inference uh, uh, of uh, uh, in a statistical sense uh, uh, given a certain uh, given a certain model uh, of uh, of your world which for example could be plasma states uh, or could be the universe or could be uh, i don't know what else hmm. so so I mean, the inverse problem, of
0: course is is interesting is sort of saying that okay, if this is if this is the outcome and this is my model, then whether what, what is the set of inputs or the distribution on the inputs that could have generated this output using that's this right. model, right? Yeah. But I guess that's a different question than what statistical modeling tries to answer, which is more like what is the statistical significance of this output? Like what is uh, the ch- right. what is the chance that this output comes from the hypothesis you are you are putting forward versus something else, right? Yeah. So, so th- these yeah, are different the, questions.
1: Yeah. Yeah. In the, in that sense, then I I don't think that, at least to my knowledge, mm-hmm. I I don't I don't I don't know of any machine learning model that does that mm. really in that in that same sense. Do okay. you Do you Maybe maybe I'm missing something here. That, no. I I can.
0: <laughs> I I'm 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 just curious because it seems from my side that there are people asking whether machine learning models can provide that type of you know p-value type significance so if if I run this type of data or this this set of inputs through a machine learning model and it spits out an output it's not just okay whether the whether this output is meaning or sorry whether this output is correct but also whether that output is meaningful um and i think that that's what the questions people are asking me but it may just be that they're confusing what machine learning is versus what statistical modeling is yeah
1: i mean i'm not i'm not sure like if i think of a neural network okay a neural Mm -hmm. network has uh, hundreds of thousands millions uh, billions even of parameters right Mm -hmm. Now, um, if I want to fit a linear relationship, okay, with a neural network with a hundred billion parameters, I can do that. Right. <laughs> <With> <laughs> it would take a long time, but yeah. All the parameters would be yeah. very, very, very small, apart from one yeah. or two. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> depending whether depending whether there's an intercept or not. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. Um, so um, now, um, what? what are we trying to what are we trying to do there right so with a statistical model we're trying to say okay this relationship is linear with a p-value of uh, x okay and you impose your statistical model with a neural network uh, I'm not quite sure whether the same kind of question makes makes sense to even be asked mm-hmm. because the parameters of the neural network uh, you know can be can can really be anything right you know? right so in this particular case uh, it will fit a relationship with you know maybe what, one thing that you can say is well you know in a bayesian sense uh, you can uh, maybe put some priors on your weights of in neural network and then uh, kind of uh, you know derive uh, what is the posterior uh, of your of your output based on these particular weights but i'm not yeah i'm not really sure uh, I'm not really sure that that's going to answer the same identical question. Hmm.
0: Yeah, and I think what makes it hard to interpret a machine learning model that way is also the sheer number of free parameters it has. That's right. right. It, I mean, if you just try to apply a linear model to your data, then you have one or two free parameters. But then if you take a system which has like, you know, 100,000 free parameters, And try to model the same thing it wouldn't it would like the answer could come out the same in terms of like the actual if you were to take your model and then plot the output versus the input Mm -hmm. but the actual weights or the actual you know free the values Mm -hmm. of the free parameters in the model would be harder to interpret if not meaningless exactly that's
1: yeah that's precisely i see yeah um So that's, uh, yeah, there's just like noise at the point.
0: Right. And I think that one of the things that you mentioned earlier, which is what I wanted to ask you, is that really, it seems to me that machine learning models excel when the input dimensionality is large. So Mm -hmm. large that traditional statistical modeling would just, it would take either forever or because you have to examine every cross correlation between inputs as well right so is that a place where machine learning is let's say better or more applicable or is that just a limitation of of statistical modeling and if it were possible to do statistical modeling with that many uh, that high dimensionality in the input space that it should be it would be worth it to do both
1: um that's that's an interesting question. So I think that so definitely machine learning does better when the dimensionality, the data dimensionality is higher, mm. and that's because uh, um, if you think, for example, of uh, neural networks again, um, neural networks build uh, a representation of the data. So they project, uh, uh, they project with the various layers uh, the data to different spaces, and so find uh, someone you know. A, uh more in more uh, suitable space uh, where things uh, um where where the data looks nice essentially mm. and right. uh, for example looks more separable or you know the regression can be performed more, more easily and so on so but what happens in either mentions uh, is that uh, the volumes become very big mm. so the volumes increase exponentially if you think about uh, you know volume of uh, of a circle right, is R squared, the volume of a, uh, of, a, of a sphere is R cubed, and then in higher dimensions, uh, it goes exponentially with dimension. Mm-hmm. Um, so essentially, um, essentially um, what happens there is that for a fixed number of data points, it becomes harder and harder and harder to do any sort of inference. Imagine you have a coin, imagine you have a coin and you have one line, Put a coin on one point of the line. This line is at a fixed length. You go up and down the line. Sooner or later, you'll find the coin. Okay? Right. Yeah. Now you have uh, uh, a football pitch, and you have one coin. It's it's gonna be hard, but if you if you try hard enough, you're gonna find this coin. Mm-hmm. Now you have uh, the International Space Station, mm-hmm. okay, which is uh, one football pitch long and half a football pitch uh, uh, like across mm-hmm. or something like that. Uh, and uh, uh, drop a coin there, no, go find it. And now imagine this, you know, when when you go to four dimension or 100,000 dimensions, like, well, n- no, no really, well, 100,000 is a bit too much. I don't think there's anything that goes <laughs> up to the uh, and, any sort of interesting problem. But if you go to hundreds of thousands of dimensions, which, mm. uh, um, so hundreds or thousands of dimensions, mm. which is definitely right. the case for image data, for example, uh, you know, statistical models will really struggle to uh, to kind of capture uh, all those. Uh, you, you basically have to have to give uh, uh, insane uh, uh, an insane level of. Uh, uh, you have to have a lot of knowledge of what your data looks like, mm-hmm. essentially, to make a statistical model that makes sense in a lot in in high dimensions. The problem is that in high dimensions, it's really hard to visualize these things. So, mm-hmm. gaining a lot of data uh, of, uh, sorry, gaining a lot of knowledge about your data in high dimensions is really hard. Mm. And so, basically, there there is also like a fundamental, like, you know, human uh, human problem in, uh, you know, trying to scale statistical models to high dimensions because it's fundamentally hard to make hypotheses on what your data looks like.
0: I see. Where yeah. a
1: network or a support vector machine or a random forest, they just do their own thing and they find a way to optimize the, whatever objective you you, you you give them.
0: Okay, so it means, I mean, just from this conversation, I'm kind of getting the conclusion that machine learning models and the traditional statistical models answer different questions. Or at least they're used to answer different questions, their strengths of apply to different domains of questions. And I guess that is the next question, is more so like what types of questions do each of them? Well, I guess we already covered that. What types of questions do they all are they better at addressing? But I mean in terms of now we get to the scientific part. So how can we use these models to improve how we do science or even how we approach science
1: yeah so for example um for example in my phd i did part of my phd work was a statistical model statistical modeling of galaxy populations Mm. and uh, part of my phd and another part was uh, machine learning models uh, of galaxy populations so um when i when i dealt with the statistical models it was mostly about uh, you know finding uh, you know what is the distribution of galaxies uh, with a certain size and a certain mass and a certain rate of star formation um what does it look like and mm-hmm. then find uh, um basically the parameters of uh, typically these things are gaussian find the parameter of this distribution maybe it's a maybe it's a gaussian mixture and then uh, try to find uh, try to you know then cross match that with models that we have and see whether they they match this uh, his distribution spoiler they don't um, <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah I don't know I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so this is this is kind of statistic what statistical models uh, are uh, I, I mean this is my experience with statistical models um and in uh, instead for for machine learning models um um in my PhD I took... I was learning the data I was learning the data generating distribution of galaxy images yeah. with a neural network. So instead of saying okay you know this is uh, uh, the distribution of galaxies of a given size and a given stellar mass, uh, sorry, distribution in size of galaxies with a given stellar mass. this is a Gaussian this is the mean this is the variance. Uh, perhaps there's another component here. Yeah. this is it. here I'm and I'm saying that this is a double Gaussian okay because the distribution is simple enough. Is just uh, you know one parameter, just the size, and then the number count. That's it. But instead, when you have things like image data, this is this is a completely different thing to do. It's very it's very hard to try to to try to do the same. But you how do you do it? Like do you do pixel wise? You have uh, one thousand histograms, and how do you decide you know how these are related to each other? Like it's it's a very very difficult problem to try to visualize even so instead uh, what i was doing was to what i did was to build uh, um, a generative neural network that um that basically learns the probability distribution of a particular uh of 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 your population and then you can say okay this image has a probability of this or or that okay Uh, so um so yeah this is this is say for example this is a clear example of uh, where statistical models versus uh, versus neural networks uh, uh, deep neural networks uh, uh, can uh, can can achieve uh, the results that are kind of similar in in uh, a a similar idea but then uh, they they have to they have to be different tools Mm. okay so this is uh, this is this is different in that sense and um um if i think about uh, about other applications uh, of machine learning in science there's uh, um well there's there's been a boom right in the past uh, what 7 to 10 years yes uh, really yeah <laughs> uh, so if if you think that uh, you know i was i was reading earlier while preparing for this uh the uh, the paper uh, the IMA- image net paper from 2012 which mm. has something like 50,000 citations it's so it would be ridiculous <laughs> yeah. or, or maybe maybe I even even one zero more than that i don't know yeah yeah <laughs> but
0: it's really blown up since then yeah yeah and,
1: uh, it, they were training you know a five-layer convolution you know network on two gpus the mm. ram of each gpu was three gigabytes and it took five days to train wow Right. Wow! Yeah, and for us now, you do that, uh, you know, in uh, maybe twenty minutes on, a, on, a G, on an a one hundred GPU. So it's um, it's it's quite it's quite crazy, like how that paper or whatever was happening in those years, right? Uh, a completely um, uh, completely revolutionized uh, computer revolutionized the field. And if you look, uh, you know, th- it was ten years ago. Mm-hmm. Science doesn't progress that fast right usually yeah
0: usually anyway yeah no this was like a, a real revolution yeah. but i think it's also because the the technology that came with it is is useful as well right so like even outside science because as you said i think the the for machine learning the focus is more on the outcome rather than the trends people and in terms of let's say actionable decisions knowing the outcome is better than knowing the trends because like I have this new machine learning model that captures within it all the trends all I need to do is just query it for what's the next outcome like if this changes what's the next outcome and then I can make decisions based off of that Um, so this
1: is exactly so whenever machine learning this kind of ties back into your your question of like when is machine learning better than statistical models mm-hmm. it's uh, it also says that you know when when data is really complex when uh, you don't really have a, a model for the data right uh, mm-hmm. you have to a model that explains the data in some way you have to resort uh, to you have to be in a way happy <laughs> with whatever you can do which is just right. predict it would mm-hmm. be amazing if you could also do statistical, you know, uh, p-values and so on. And I'm and I and I'm sure that someone is doing that, uh, but I'm, I'm I just don't know about it. Right. Um, but uh, you know, when you look at, uh, for example, the chaotic behavior of plasmas in a tokamak, and uh, I mean, I'm sure that all the physicists, uh, the other physicists, listening to this, would disagree. But uh, do we really care? whether we actually understand the physics of disruptions uh, or do we actually just want something that makes the plasma not disrupt so right. a learning based model for example that learns uh, what a disruption is uh, it doesn't really exactly know why that happens but it's got data from you know previous uh, experiments uh, knows what a disruption is and learns how to mitigate that or what kind of action to take uh, when there is a uh, you know precursor signals of a disruption that what the algorithm somehow captures, and we can't. Um, and I and I think that uh, while it would be very nice to have also the physical understanding of what's happening, it also is important to um, to be pragmatic. Uh, and I think that this is also the the approach that was taken in other communities. For example, if you look at uh, the um, um, the drug discovery community, mm-hmm. right um drug discovery is a very 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 complicated task mm-hmm. okay yet um there are startups uh, that uh that, you know that do drug discovery with AI and there are human trials with drug discovery with AI we're very close to you know putting uh, the first uh, AI generated drug on the market for human consumption
0: oh, wow okay so this
1: yeah. you know I think that this is kind of what we should be gaming at for fusion you know. If people trust uh, AI, uh, and of course these are all start-up, private startups that will never tell you how they did this. Right. Uh, yeah. But uh, we have to we have to reason in the way that if if people trust uh, putting an AI generated drug into a human, uh, and uh, and this can be done safely, so safely that it can be commercial, why mm-hmm. can't uh, AI be deployed, uh, you know, in a control system uh, of a tokamak? Mm-hmm right do we you know obviously the challenges are different uh, and uh, you know we're talking about two completely orthogonal fields uh, uh, and and so on Um, so the reason why we are not there yet is because uh, all these challenges uh, for that are specific to fusion haven't been addressed yet Uh, but uh, um, but I think that uh, when they will be addressed uh, I think that we should be we should not be shy.
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah, <laughs> you know, no, don't, absolutely. Don't go forward with it. Yeah, and, well, then, I... and then we can then we can muse about you know the various you know the various instabilities and perturbations uh, and all sorts of things. Uh, um, but uh, having a predictive model that can tell you how the plasma behaves, uh, I think uh, I think it would be a no-brainer.
0: Right, and I think I would argue that most most of science goes in that order anyway, right. You discover a new phenomenon, usually experimentally, and then you develop like a really phenomenological model. Like you start with an empirical one, and then you try to add some, you know, physics to that empirical model to see if you can explain the trend that is there in the empirical model. And then later there's some more fundamental theory that is either developed or adjusted to incorporate the new data, right? But it, it happens. Generally, at least I've seen, it happens along that timeline. Of course, there are circumstances where you have theory-predicted um, discoveries first. So the theory says this should occur, and then later they develop the experiment to actually find it. But in most cases, it does work the other way. Right? You can even think of this like high-confinement mode inside uh, tokamak plasmas. Right? It's like somebody just found it inside uh, Aztecs. Um, and then from there, people developed this scaling law, which is the transition from the low confinement mode to the, H conf- or to the high confinement mode. And then all the Takamax just started using that and found out that, okay, it needs to be tweaked for these plasma parameters or you know, adjusted here and there for machine size. But that's where what they used for the longest time. And we're still trying to figure out the exact fundamental physics of you know how this transition occurs of course we have better ideas now but people have been using H mode for decades already right so I can see that happening and if machine learning can accelerate that then I agree with you that's extremely useful right even yeah. just building that empirical model that can predict better um this- this but it's
1: cool. this is super true but it's also true in the reverse. like mm. for example, imagine you have a, um, a complicated model, okay and you don't really know whether it works. you have some of course they will be informed by previous models and previous experiments, you make a new model and then you and then you have to test it, mm. right? Imagine you can accelerate this model by making a surrogate of it in some way mm-hmm. and uh, and then you can deploy it at scale. Uh, you know over all the kinds of uh, uh, all the kinds of data that are there from the diff- various stock and so on and so forth and you have like this very general surrogate that you can just deploy on jet Azdex, uh, um, you name it okay and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, at this point uh, you know exactly where the model is going to where the model fails because you have a, an accurate surrogate it's fast to run you can run it everywhere you don't have to wait three weeks uh, mm. for for you know for the for the model to run Uh, because you've done that uh, previously, you've just like run whatever, however many you know weeks of simulations uh, to generate your training set, uh, yeah, and build your surrogate, and then you can just deploy, just amortized, okay. And so once you do that, uh, at this point uh, you you know exactly the pitfalls of your model, and you can go back to it and refine it and uh, start from scratch instead of just like painfully, you know try to you know to find the shot uh, or and uh, you try to learn and of course I know that there are very um that it's very hard to actually do this and have you know set up a simulation campaign with uh, um, with you know uh, simulations not breaking, so PS people and talking to you here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. No, but I mean, it's funny that you mentioned this because actually, this is what I'm I'm currently working on, right? I see. Okay. <laughs> yeah, cool. yeah. This is my this is my stuff where it's sort of we we want to streamline the process of modeling for different plasmas so that we can just try it on everything. Of course, accelerating the model is part of that component, the surrogate modeling and all this stuff, but then even building the pipelines to run the model on all the experimental data that we have to verify where it works and where it doesn't work. That's, Part of my work now is building that, so I I totally agree with you because I'm I'm trying to do it. Right? So, <laughs> <laughs> I I agree with that absolutely, but I I think that yeah, it's like a, a different
1: approach. It is so fierce. what 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 is really exciting, and, and here we're gonna be we're gonna go a bit on a tangent. No to worries, it, yeah, yeah no to, worries. to the machine learning yeah. specific part, but it's actually still machine learning because you know eighty percent of the machine of machine learning is the data, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody says that. Maybe 80% is a bit harsh, but uh, certainly a, a large fraction of machine learning, uh, the machine learning pipeline is, is, is dealing with the data. But for, for simulations, uh, uh, you know, the data comes from computers. So we need the HPC resources. Mm-hmm. We need to make our even our models, we need to make them faster. We need to make them able to run at the exascale. Um, and uh, in that way we can generate faster training sets and uh, you know iterate even faster through the, you know model data validation uh, uh, side of things uh, and then you know, improve on our models as fast as we can. And uh, and on the other hand, uh, also from the data side, we need uh, high throughput if you want if you really want to, um, you know, to process data in in real time, we need uh, you know high throughput uh, um uh, infrastructure that, that allows us to do that so there's again uh, this is again hpc and uh, you know uh, clever databases and all things that i don't understand but i know that are very important for these kinds of things so it's really more of a uh, you know um it, it's 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 a very hpc generic um, sorry HPC specific um, uh, task that encompasses many things from mm-hmm. you know from the simulations to the data to the uh, to the storage to the streaming to the machine learning machine learning is a part of that right um, but we have to we have con- to concert everything and this is this is an enormous task
0: yes absolutely and, I mean there are many people within within Europe who are kind of working on it and I think now that machine learning is becoming a bit more prevalent, um, not just in in community or in society as a whole, but also from a scientific point of view, where they're seeing the advantages of applying machine learning or, or using machine learning as a tool to accelerate science, then it gives a lot more emphasis to these tasks and projects to sort of like Coordinate everything, you know, build standard data structures that so that you can just plug and play different models, um, try to collect the data all in one place, or at least on a set of servers um, with high performance computing access to those servers, right? So all this sort of stuff and you know, data permissions and all this sort of stuff, this more infrastructure slash bureaucratic level. It is occurring, but it is it is slower because it is not how we used to work, That's um, right. right? In in the fusion field. So, but you're right; those are essential, and machine learning is just one component in this whole you know ecosystem. But it does require these other pieces uh, pieces to be put into place, or else. I mean, I, I yeah. don't
1: think it's I don't think it's uh, it's only a problem of of the fusion field. Like some fields have done better than that. So, mm-hmm. for example, astrophysics; uh, most data is open. Uh, you just uh, do an SQL query on uh, whatever database that's online, and uh, you get the data. And uh, typically, there's embargo periods of two to three years, but then it's it's all available, and you can just uh, do your own thing. Um, but uh, for example, if you think about uh, um, medical medical records of patient records, all of these things are in horrible formats that are <laughs> not usable at all. Yeah, and uh, there's a there's a really like the people that want to do machine learning on that kind of data really have a hard time uh, trying to process that and Mm. uh, but even if you think about other scientific uh, or engineering uh, really um, endeavors like uh, I don't know um, I'm thinking about uh, um, aerospace for example all the data collected there is is it's still not really machine learning ready Hmm. right okay the data the data for from um from, from a lot of uh, uh devices power plants and so on it's uh, it's it can be really messy and not really ready to use mm. and all of this technological revolution is happening um sorry all these uh all the the, the, the data revolution that drives then the machine learning revolution is only happened only been happening recently where people mm. have started to you know think about you know how to actually handle and that's why you have all these new databases around uh, that can that allow you to to store and that deal with data in a, in a in a much nicer way.
0: So, if I were to ask, just for people who are, let's say, mm-hmm. not familiar with machine learning at all, like no no hands on experience, at least, just like what they hear in the news, like, what do you mean by a machine learning ready data? Like, what do you mean by machine learning ready data?
1: Well, I mean that you need to have um, it. It needs to be fair. So it needs to be findable. Mm -hmm. It needs to be... Oh my God, now I forgot. I forgot what it stands for. (laughs) Yeah, it's an acronym. You work with fair data too, so you can...
0: Oh no, (laughs) (laughs) I I
1: also do not remember all four of them. (laughs) Um, Maybe, maybe, yeah. So it has to be findable and accessible. Okay, so you need to know where the data is and you need to know how to access it. Mm -hmm. Uh, You need to know... Um, it has to be. Uh, what is the I again? Uh, and the R. Um, uh, God, this this is putting me in a in a hard spot here. Can you Google that quickly? Yeah, I, I want <laughs> to
0: Google it quickly, but like maybe you just can. Uh, uh, maybe. Wh- what is the purpose of of fair? Like, why do we want it?
1: Yeah. Well, we want it because because we want we want data to be easily usable, and we want everyone to to be able to use to use that data to build their own models and uh, you know to to challenge and con- keep keep going uh, essentially in in a direction where uh, you know the same data which is reached uh, from you know from whenever when reach you know with the new data that is always coming in you know uh, um, that data is a common pool over which uh, people can uh, uh, can build their models and you know basically open access data in mm-hmm. a way we're not quite open access really because there's still you can still have some um some uh, licensed licenses on that I believe even mm-hmm. in, in a fair framework uh here I'm really out of my depth so I apologize I apologize if I if I say something that is not uh, um um that is not correct uh, but uh, basically my, my understanding is that you really want to use the to to, to have a common framework for everyone to work on and, you know, Mm. let the best algorithm win. Right. And I I think, so I looked it up, FAIR is findable, accessible,
0: interoperable, interoperable, and reusable. And reusable, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So those principles, I I agree. So like having, having FAIR data means that also that anybody who's interested in trying to develop a model has access to it so that they can attempt make an attempt and if it turns out to be better than everything else then of course we should you know try to use that model because it's just better we all benefit from having people try these sorts of things but i think even beyond that or maybe it's included in the definition of fair and i'm just unaware of it is is there particular components of the data that need to be in place Or can you just like hand people a table of numbers, right? Because I have found that that's not really how it works. You can't just give people a table of numbers and suddenly they can magically machine learning model.
1: Well, magic it out
0: of it, right? So,
1: well, this is this is this is kind of the problem of uh, you know interfacing science, uh, any kind of science with computer science, Mm -hmm. that uh, you you always need to give uh, metadata. Mm. And uh, you always need to have some kind of, uh, you know, um, some kind of uh, domain knowledge of about what exactly that data means. So that means that you need to have, uh, you know, some readme files, for example, or at least uh, another human in the loop (laughs) that that helps you there. Right. Right. Um, To
0: To sort of just make sense of the data and, like, get a feel for what is the question that is interesting to ask of this right. data right yeah
1: yeah yeah exactly so um so i think yeah i think that's uh, uh, that's probably the main uh, um that's probably the main the, the main part and most of the times uh, however all of this comes uh, in a really um, un- inconvenient uh, you know uh format where you have nested the dictionaries for example where where it's not really easily queryable uh, because all these nested dictionaries uh, you have, you know, you have to always go and find where the data actually is and then export that to a table. For example, if you have a table or data set mm-hmm. and sometimes, uh, you know, uh, you might have corrupted data, sometimes you might have. Uh, and so all these data, all, all these uh, uh, all these flags uh, are really important. Uh, you, you want to really make sure to not throw away data because all data is good data. Mm-hmm. But also, you want to make sure that uh, uh, for particular tasks, uh, you do not use some data. So, for example, say you want to use, you want to do uh, anomaly detection, okay, in a particular data set. Okay, mm-hmm. you can throw everything in, do your anomaly detection, and then a posteriori say, okay, well, this is uh, just uh, the the diagnostic here wasn't working. Clearly, it's only zeros. It doesn't make any sense. Okay, right. And okay. uh, this is clearly anomalous compared to the rest. Right. But you don't want to use that when you do a regression, uh, a regression task of sorts, because clearly that is is, is broken data. Mm-hmm. So this is an instance where you know it's useful to have, um, you know the um the 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 broken data for one task, but not for the other one. But right. useful to have it for the broken one and say like that would be like the first sieve sift through the data to find things that are odd, I guess. Um hmm. yeah, that's that's
0: interesting. So like because I, I definitely agree with you on the point that it would be it would be nice if if the data is sort of like condensed into a ready to ingest format, like sort of like tables rather than a bunch of nested structures where you have to like loop through a bunch of, you know, lists in order to find your data. Um, But the problem is often that then you need to construct that table specifically for a task almost, right? So you, you can't have a generalized structure that represents all data from a, Plasma device, let's say, that also suits the need of machine learning. And so you run into this problem between the two camps, the ones who own the data, produce the data, let's say, want to have a generalized format so that they don't have to play around with you know, how the data is sorted every time that they want to insert new data. Uh, But then on the other hand, such a generalized structure is not that useful, or at least very cumbersome for someone who just wants to answer a particular question, right? Because they have all this extra data that they don't know what to do with. The format is not very conducive to their algorithms, blah, 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 right? So there has to be a person kind of in the center whose job is to makes the uh, transformation yeah. right and, and, and having that that person is it's just there's no culture of having that person yeah
1: round that's that's correct right that's correct. yeah the data so we, we've got someone um working on this and uh, right. and is 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 very good but is is very hard it's <laughs> <He's> finding <laughs> it very hard to you know deal deal with the you know the way the data is uh, is currently formatted
0: right so, and so so I guess this brings up the question, um, I think we've already talked about it like here or there within the previous bit is like what sort of issues have you encountered in you know bridging that gap between machine learning, like the data scientists and the computer scientists and then the scientists who produce the data that you're going to work with?
1: Well, yeah, the, the first one is that uh, um, a lot of the times uh, there is no um it's it seems like uh, we're speaking different languages right <laughs> <laughs> because um well because fundamentally when I talk to people in the material science department I'm not a material scientist right so it's really it's really the case and and when I talk to them they're not computer scientists so it's really the case of uh, you know trying to really um I'm gonna use a term that I don't like very much but I can't find another one Right. Dump down. <laughs> okay, know, yeah. Things uh, translate. Yeah. Translate. Let's <laughs> yeah, say. Yeah. Yeah. So you yeah. really have to to work hard to find a way to translate in the easiest possible terms uh, what you can achieve, how you can help, and they have to be the same identical thing. Now, I mean, this example of materials, but uh, this this works uh, for everything. I'm not a plasma physicist either, mm. so um this this works in the same way when I talk to plasma physicists to, to people in control and so on and so forth so you really have to know to have very clear in mind uh what is uh in in, in what are the ways that you think you can help and they have to have very clear in mind uh, uh what are their problems uh that, they, that they're trying to solve and there is no and there, it makes no sense to just like try to um, you know apply the coolest uh, the coolest latest uh, uh, algorithm if uh, there's just no use of that (laughs) (laughs) right yeah
0: Yeah. exactly because like each of these algorithms or infrastructures kind of excel at a particular task and you can't just apply it randomly to answer any question right it doesn't work that way yeah so i think it's more of just like the interdisciplinary component right like getting it, in some ways it's almost it, you're right in making the analogy that you almost speak different languages right like it, it's really hard to because there's such specialization in each field and the terminologies don't don't cross right yeah, at yeah. some point. I yeah. mean I
1: found, I found that to be the case even for astrophysics and and fusion. Mm-hmm. like the, the terminology even to refer to similar things uh, is just like the way people talk about things is different. Right. I don't know if it's uh, it's probably like uh, you know an emerging emergent uh, property of uh, you know uh, of the people that work yeah. in a certain field.
0: Uh, yeah, maybe uh, maybe we have to trade an AI or uh, an algorithm on that <laughs> to translate between different fields. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So but,
1: yeah, I I think that uh, it that that's why I meant that's why I said that having a, an expert in the loop is always. Uh, um, is always very important because otherwise you end up doing things that uh, are not useful are not important uh, uh, are not uh, uh, are not even like conceivable for mm-hmm. example uh, when i was during my phd i did uh, i did an internship in a hospital doing statistical modeling of uh, patients with high blood pressure and uh, um and i was doing in my models i was doing things that uh, doctors would never do in their lives like mm-hmm. just like taking patients on and off appeal depending on what is the threshold, and uh, <laughs> okay. and the, the doctor I was working with was like, no, this this is absolutely not 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 possible because I mean in hindsight probably I should have thought about this, right, <laughs> so right, right. It Doesn't make much sense, right. but uh, but you know these kinds of uh, you know, these kinds of things do do happen, and and you need a domain expert that domain expert that tells you, for example, what is uh, you know uh, in some 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 things are. Uh, like for example the critical gradient model for gyrokinetic turbulence right mm-hmm. it, naively you can just uh, can just put everything in a regressor and then uh, you find that suddenly your uh, your fluxes are overestimated near the near the uh, near the, the the threshold right near the critical gradient threshold which is horrible for your core right. because you over predicts your transport um so having that kind of knowledge domain knowledge that this is a sharp transition really it makes makes a difference in the way you conceive the the machine learning models right so so this goes in in the sense of you know this uh physics informed modeling uh, physics informed machine learning uh, kind of framework
0: yeah so what i hear is that it kind of goes both ways just just like that domain experts need to understand machine learning isn't kind of like a silver bullet It it does require a lot of uh, pre-work to be done in terms of not just the data but then what question do you want to ask the data and all this sort of stuff you, the other way around is also true that the, yeah the data scientists can't just like uh, take a table of numbers and then apply a model to it they need to understand a bit where the numbers came from and what do they represent um and like what is the let's say the state of the art of the field so that they can use that knowledge in helping to develop the algorithm or develop the loss function at least
1: yeah right? but that's but but you see that's uh, that, that becomes really hard because mm-hmm. uh, at this point it's two people doing the job of one person <laughs> right 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 well, let's say let's say let's say two people doing the job of one and a half one and a half people right <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah maybe yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but like the, the communication is is the hardest part i think yeah there, yeah. there is definitely some um some optimization to be done I don't, I don't know like uh, uh, what is uh, um, I don't know how um, you know how other other because for example if I think about again I'm coming back to the um, to the um, drug 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 design uh, mm. community they've managed to get uh, a lot of momentum from the uh, from the ML community uh, behind the behind the drug design um you know objective and uh, you know uh, it's 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 been working really well so it will mm. be interesting to for us and the fusion community to learn about how these people um uh, have have achieved that you know to to get that kind of momentum from the from the uh, from the um uh, from the ml community which right. frankly we we don't quite have we don't right. have quite the same reach uh of uh, uh you know probably because our data is in a state and mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah yeah where it's it's hard to work with and and there's and, also uh, and yeah. we, are, we are also probably also um that we definitely have less funding than you know um people working in big pharma mm. uh so that that also doesn't help but uh, i feel like uh, we should definitely aim to do something similar uh, so gain that kind of momentum from the from the wider. From the wider AI community, right. and you know, work with them, yeah. uh, it, and it's also an interesting. You also it will also bring in uh, you know interesting uh, AI developments because if you look at um, um, drug discovery, uh, there's uh, uh, lots of interesting stuff in graph, neural know, networks has mm-hmm. happened uh, thanks uh, to drug discovery, uh, to applications to drug discovery, and I think that uh, potentially, if I think of neural PD solvers, for example or control uh, we we can uh, we can also give them a tough nut to crack uh, yeah. which will require new methods uh, and uh, considering how how fast this has happened you know drug discovery uh, you know graph neural networks really weren't a thing before I don't want to say anything uh, you know crazy but I wouldn't think you know before 2015 mm. I, I I don't think that people were actually doing it uh, Uh, much about drug discovery with graph neural networks and now it's all it's all about that in you know seven years and hopefully we can do something similar in a a similar time frame or faster right
0: yeah absolutely i think that there is definitely a lot of room for both the scientific like the domain specific scientific community and also then the machine learning community to uh, with these types of collaborations to grow Yeah, absolutely. So one final thing, we're rounding up on our time. Maybe this is going to expose an entirely different conversation, but I have one final question to you. Um, Do you think this touches back to the artificial intelligence stuff? Do you think we'll hit a point with all this data and all this machine learning, even in the field of, let's say, fusion, where the machine learning algorithm will know more than the
1: scientist? Um, It depends what you mean by know. Right. Do do you mean like Let's
0: let's say it um because in terms of like trends let's say in terms of prediction right do you think we'll ever hit a point where the machine learning model predicts something that no human would have ever thought is is a possibility and be right about it
1: Um well I guess if you think about uh, um imagine this scenario you have uh, um Model okay, you have some PDE system of PDEs. You have a neural PDE solver that solves for that, mm-hmm. and uh, the training set uh, is, uh, say, you know, a hypercube, just a standard, uh, you know, grid on the hypercube, and the model kind of interpolates over, um, the this uh, this param, this um, grid of parameters, uh, okay, but then maybe the query is at some point uh, one point in between this grid. and yeah. for some reason, since uh, you know we got plenty of bifurcations in, in fusion, for some reason something happens in a particular data point that we would never have imagined. And uh, maybe that model that you know we wouldn't have uh, we wouldn't have gone there, for example, but maybe but maybe the when you know when when for example, if you plug this into a control system, Okay, maybe the model wants to go in that particular point because it knows that in that particular point something interesting happens. Mm-hmm. Na- namely, I don't know, I don't know. What, what, yeah, what, it what, could be any number of things. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay, yeah. but the model knows because it has uh, you know all this uh, um, high-dimensional representation of uh, you know the entire parameter space, which you know we we just can't uh, can 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 think about. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe maybe something like that could happen. Yeah, but I I don't know if I would think of a machine learning model that uh, you know is able to essentially n- that knows everything about fusion and can make you know new hypotheses uh, and test them and do everything. That sounds like AGI, and uh, I'm not right. sure we're there yet. Uh, right. But yeah. again, as I as I said, I don't want to go there because I'm really out of my depth with AGI okay. discussions. So. Uh, yeah and it would it would be it also is a massive speculation <laughs>
0: well i mean that this this yeah. question was a really speculative question okay. but i think yeah. i think just to like get an idea of what you th- what you think the direction of this field goes right because it is it's, it would be interesting to know if it is a possibility or at least to let's say pre preconceive a possibility where a machine learned model predicts something that All the scientists kind of look at and be like, it would be great, but like, I don't have any idea whether that's possible or not, because that is sort of a prerequisite to people then trusting the machine, like, just like with the drug discovery, people look at the drug and be like, Okay, should we try human testing on
1: this, right? Like Well, obviously first they, first they go, you know, there are lab trials like there are right. like, you know yeah. in vitro trials before going to humans, but
0: Yeah, yeah. But still somebody has to make that jump and like look at the result, the prediction from the model and be like possible, but I have would have never come up with
1: this, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, for, yeah. but for, for sure, right? Uh, that's uh, if if you think for example about uh, um uh, yeah, the, the drug discovery example—that's that, perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, people just like um, had no idea whether a particular compound uh, would actually do the thing that the machine learning model promised. Right. And then you you have some sort of like a few candidates. Uh, you do some screening of them, and you reduce until you take one to human trial. Um, and I think uh, so. Basically, this should should kind of give us confidence that you know it can happen also in fusion why not right exactly and with in that end, uh, in the end those uh, you know those if, if you look also at alpha fold right uh, that's uh um like the, the, those predictions for protein folding are uncanny i've got i know people mm. in biology departments that use use the prediction from alpha fold and they're very happy with that um, and you know it would have taken ages for humans to actually make computations like with bi- biophysics, uh, um, sorry, <clears throat> computational biophysical models uh, about those 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 proteins. Um, mm-hmm. And yet we trust uh, those from uh, from AlphaFold, and they make sense to them. So we're gonna get the refusion,
0: right? Yeah. So so what you're saying is there's a chance. <laughs> there's I a hope. hope. Yeah. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Great. So then with that, uh, Lorenzo, I'd like to thank you for coming on to this podcast. Thanks for um, having me. Yeah, it's been a great conversation. I've I've yeah. learned a lot also from your, your, what do you call it, descriptions of, of the differences between ML and... and was, it was really
1: stimulating statistics. for me to, it made me challenge me on some things. And so I hope that, uh, uh, I hope the people in the public uh, will take uh, some of the things I said with a pinch of salt. Uh, <laughs> Of course, we'll always, we, yeah. I always tell to,
0: to everybody that uh, the podcast is not just learned uh, for the public or for our listeners to learn, but also for us, the, the people involved in the conversation. So, with that, uh, to everybody listening, thanks for tuning in, and uh, we'll see you on the next episode of Copy Breakdown. Bye.